Have you ever been sad? Have you ever been really sad? Maybe a day, the saddest day of your life. Can you think back to what might be the saddest day of your life? A day when you'd give anything not to be there. A day when you thought the cloud's never, ever going to lift again. Nothing will ever be the same after today. For most of us, the cloud does lift. At least a little. But today we're going to meet a lady whose life, to all intents and purposes, is really over. It really would never be the same again. She'd lost her only son. And now she had to bury him. She would have given anything not to be there. It was the, the day she dreaded. Now it had arrived. And the tragic thing was that this wasn't the first time she'd been through it. Her husband had died and she'd had to bury him as well. No doubt she woke up that morning, dressed her son, her dead son, in the very best clothes she could afford. The neighbours would have helped her to put him on a sort of stretcher. And as there was no husband and no other son, she was the person who had to lead out this procession of death to the cemetery. She would have started walking at the head of this procession. There would have been flutes playing, people mourning and uh, crying and weeping. And she, step by step, making her way to the cemetery, just outside Capernaum, probably outside Nain, the place we were, we're in this morning. On the road to Capernaum, there's a graveyard that's been excavated. So people know that that's where there was a graveyard. And she was going there. It's amazing, really, the name of Nain means beauty. But to her, not today. Not today. Her heart is broken. The tears surely must be flowing. And all of the neighbors and all of the crowd are with her as they slowly tread those terrible steps his grave and the likelihood is that uh, the grave that he was going to be buried in was not one where he would be lying but because of the poverty that she had the likelihood is that he would be buried upright to save space and no doubt to save cost It's a sad thing that no one could help her. She just trudged on. She came to the gates of the city and amazingly, at the same time, there was another crowd of people coming. And they were coming in the opposite direction from Capernaum. Jesus was at the head of this crowd 
And this crowd were full of hope and delight and joy because Jesus had already shown them in Capernaum something of his power and his glory and the healing that he'd done there. He taught and done great things. And so here's the most remarkable thing of all. There's a crowd coming from Capernaum and just at that very moment there's a crowd coming out from the gates of Nain and they meet. What perfect timing that was. So you've got two crowds meeting, one full of hope and one full of mourning. The prince of life meeting the crowd of death. Two crowds confronting each other. Death and hopelessness and despair meeting the prince of life who will conquer death. So she leads the procession and keeps leading the procession. She has no idea who this crowd is that she's meeting. No doubt through her tears she could hardly see anyway. She's bereft of everything. Because she has no son, she has no income. Because she has no husband, there is no hope of a family in the future. Her situation was utterly and completely desperate. Her neighbours must have known how she felt, but they could never have entered into her feelings. They couldn't really understand the depths of sadness and agony she was going through. What could she do? What could they do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Just simply some sort of empathy and sympathy as she went to the grave. And as they reach these, the other crowd, the two crowds meet suddenly something amazing happens. See, if she'd have set off a little bit later or a little bit earlier and Jesus had set off and walked a little bit slower, they never would have met. But they did meet. And the King of Glory is now meeting with the procession of death. Look with me at verse 13 of John chapter 7 and be amazed what does it say well if you've got the NIV it says this Jesus sees her and it talks about his heart going out to her if you've got other versions the likelihood is and the ESV says this Jesus sees her and has compassion on her Jesus sees her and has compassion on her. It's a wonderful, wonderful verse. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. It was the fullest and the deepest sympathy. This isn't any casual thing. This is no just, uh, I'll send a a text, uh, an email, or, or even a really posh card. None of that. Jesus has compassion on her. It's a window into the feelings of Jesus. If you look throughout Scripture, you'll find in the New Testament descriptions of his feelings, but the most common feeling described is compassion. And here we've got Luke using it, the only time he uses it about the Lord Jesus in the whole of his Gospel. No doubt for emphasis, because here Jesus has compassion on the widow of Nain. And my prayer 
is very simple that you and I together might just grasp a glimpse of this glorious compassion that this glorious Savior has on this lady. Because the nature of compassion, you might just ask, where does compassion come from? Does it come from your heart, your head? Where does it come from? Well, uh, Sinclair Ferguson says this. (laughs) The politest way to describe it is that compassion comes from somewhere much lower in the anatomy. What Jesus sees, his reaction, he's experiencing something profoundly, and here's the phrase, gut-wrenching. Down to the roots of his being, it's a language that speaks of Jesus absorbing the pain of the situation. And listen carefully. Can you get this? Please try and listen. Please pray it into your own heart. As Jesus has compassion, it tore his guts out. It ripped his heart out. He had compassion on this widow. Do you get it? It wasn't mild. It wasn't a text. It wasn't a trivial sort of emotional feeling. It was way beyond empathy. It was a deep emotional disruption in his whole being. That's the nature of the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a great teacher. We are sitting at the feet of the Master and we're learning from him. I used to be a a school inspector, or at least I inspected a few schools and used to take a team of about 20 people into schools. And we had a sort of way of looking at classes and teachers and... uh, Hello. And, uh, and when, we, when we looked at these classes and these teachers, we'd have a score, you know. So you'd go from one to seven. Seven being the best and one being, well, we looked for words to describe it. So we go from very poor to poor. And you try and find words that wouldn't always be that as harsh as that. But poor, very poor. We didn't use off the scale low, but we, we did have some of those. Unsatisfactory. Now you're starting to get to the region where it's okay. Satisfactory, mm, good, ooh, very good, ooh, outstanding, ooh, ho, ho, ho. and you know, I, I remember going to one school, and throughout the day, I was I was a science inspector at one time, and uh, I went into these classes, and they were all of them were the same. The teachers wore white coats, and the message they gave out was this: "I'm clever, you're thick." Science is hard, and you're going to find this really tough. And through the day, when I wrote my report on the lessons, I was just thinking, this is unbelievable. I, I, I must have got it wrong. I surely have got my judgment on what a good teacher is and what a good lesson. I must have got it wrong. Until the end of the day, I ended up in a special needs class where this teacher, of all things, was teaching the reproduction of fish. Now, I'm a chemist. I have no interest in the reproduction of fish. Why should I bother? Batter them, put them with chips, and I'm away. <laughs> but no interest in it. But I'm sitting there in this class. I'm not, and I really am not exaggerating. The tears were flowing from my eyes. Now, I, now I'm gone. That is, I, I was not crying because it was a bad lesson. We did have those. And we did have inspectors who came back with tears and said, I cannot believe what I've just seen. But this was joy. 
It was amazing what this woman was doing. She was off the scale in terms of good. And I know about reproduction of fish now, and so do those kids. And they'll never forget it. When the Lord Jesus is uh, working, this love he has is not outstanding. It's off the scale of. That's what compassion is. It's off the scale of. In a school not so far from here, I know an inspector who was in charge of a team, went into an RE class. The lesson was so good, instead of writing notes, he said, I put my pen down and I just thrilled at the lesson. Folk, put your pens down and thrill at the lesson of the Lord Jesus Christ as he sees the widow of Nain and his compassion on it. Just thrill. What happens next? Just have a look at this. It's remarkable. In these few verses, we have a masterclass in love and compassion, which is way off the scale. What happens? The Lord sees her. In that passage, the Lord sees her. Verse 13. He sees her. That's all he does. He sees her. She's the focus. The worst day of her life. The crowd can't do anything to reduce her sorrow. Her loneliness. Her emptiness. And Jesus has compassion on her. Jesus really sees where she is. He really feels where she is. He really has compassion, deep compassion on her. He understands the reality of her situation. He knows she has no husband. She has no prospects. Desperate and holy, uh, hopeless and, and in despair. And Jesus has compassion on her. He doesn't think about himself. He doesn't think about it. He's not doing this to impress anyone. He's doing this because of her and his compassion towards her. Secondly, note this. Nobody makes any request. Nobody says, come here, do this, do that, do the other. No one. He simply steps out from the crowd of hope to the crowd of despair and intervenes in a remarkable way. Jesus goes up to her. That's the next thing. He goes up to her. And then he says this to her. Now listen carefully. What does he say? Don't weep. Imagine how the crowd coming out of Nain must have thought. Don't weep. What world are you coming from? We understand something. But don't weep. (laughs) What wonderful words they are. It was him to her. What about the crowd? It doesn't matter. He speaks to her. Don't weep. Doesn't tell us what exactly happened. But I guess she probably understood she didn't need to weep. And then Jesus, who's the only person can help, does something which conquers death. He touches the stretcher. That's unthinkable in those days. It would be any teacher would do their best to be on the other side of any road to avoid any contact with death. But Jesus does not do that. He simply touches that stretcher, touches that beer, touches death. He speaks to the young man. He speaks to the young man. 
this young man is dead. He's face up, his arms are folded, he's dressed in the best that she could have ever given him, and he speaks to this dead man. He reaches into death. And he's confident. There is no doubt about this. There is no risk about this. With all these people watching, all the people from Capernaum, all the people from Nain, the two crowds as totally opposite uh, conceptions of life and its potential. And there, he speaks to a dead body. To speak to a dead body. That's just surely unthinkable. And yet with absolute confidence, Jesus speaks. Only Christ could do that, isn't it? Only Christ could help her. Only Christ could speak. You remember those lovely words of a hymn, He speaks, and listening to his voice, new life, the dead receive. And then what does he do? Well, <laughs> he watches, and the crowds must have just been amazed. Verse 15, look carefully at that and read it carefully. Don't take it for granted. Remember the situation, remember the miracle. You may know the story, take it to heart. This is remarkable beyond. It's off the scale in terms of miracle, isn't it? And the dead man sat up. And began to speak to Jesus. The dead man sat up and began to speak to Jesus. My mum passed away just two years ago. 97 years and one month. We went to see her for the very last time in the uh, funeral home. If she'd have sat up and said, Dave, can I have a drink of water? I would have been, I probably would have died of a heart attack. But here, he, he's alive. He speaks. And what does, she, what does he do? What does Jesus do? He gives him to his mother. Isn't that wonderful? He gives him to his mother. He brings together these two shattered lives. And suddenly she has hope. She has her son back. All that she had lost has been retrieved and her situation is totally transformed by meeting the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave him his son, her son, back to his mother. And then, what happens? Well, you can see that wonderful thing. Verse 16. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding countryside. Imagine, they've seen something remarkable. I just don't think it was the miracle. I don't think it was just the rising from the dead of a dead person. I think the miracle was the compassion that this great teacher had for this lost and desperate woman. The news spread throughout the whole land. What an incredible thing. Alistair Begg says this about this, uh, 
this thing that Jesus didn't comment on it at all. He simply overcomes everything. He hears the cry of the sorrowful. He's a loving comforter, a victor over death, a reuniter of separated loved ones. And he does this for his faithful followers. Because that's who Jesus is. And the Gospels lay bare the, uh, some of the emotions of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we've said, compassion is the one mentioned more than any other. And Luke, as we said, only uses it once in this, uh, this uh, his Gospel about the Lord Jesus Christ. But he, it is used in other Gospels where compassion refers to the Lord Jesus having compassion not just on an individual, but on a crowd. 5,000 men and their families. He has compassion on them because they've been with him for days and he's been teaching them. 4,000 men plus and their families. He has time and compassion for them. For the crowd. Remember what we're talking about here. It's compassion, love off the scale. Gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching love and gut-wrenching concern. And he has Compassion for the crowds. Like sheep without a shepherd. He says that. Like sheep without a shepherd. The Lord Jesus does not just have compassion on individuals. He has compassion on the individuals gathered together in the crowd. So what can we learn from this uh, master class? Well, here's the first thing. Jesus arrives exactly on time. Not one minute early, not one minute late. He is in his presence, transforms the situation. Here, you are not here by accident today. Jesus is here. Unworthy as we are, and unworthy as I am as a preacher, Jesus is here. And you are here. And he is to meet you. But it may be that some of you are, as it were, on a stretcher of your own making, of your own sin. It may be that you, there's some sin in your own heart. Nobody else knows about it. But you're being carried effectively to a cemetery of spiritual death. Maybe you're proud. Maybe you think you're something special. And you're not going to let that go. Or maybe you've got some bitterness in your heart from something that's happened a long time ago. Or maybe there's this secret sin that you're hiding and nobody else knows about it. Everything seems fine on the outside, but on the inside it's altogether different. Folk, Jesus is here today. And instead of that funeral to your spiritual uselessness and your spiritual abandonment, as it were, God never to use you because of your sin getting in the way, your failure and your weakness getting it, Jesus is almost saying there's no funeral today in Kevin Lee. No funeral today. I want to meet with you. I want to sort that sin out. I want to deal with that bitterness. I want to get you so you love me. You're close to me and I have compassion on you. Folk, don't leave today. Go and keep walking on that cemetery road. Turn to him and ask him. Call on him to show compassion on you. Turn to him. It may be some of you aren't yet Christians. And some of you have yet to really understand that you're on your way to a 
the cemetery of God's judgment and punishment and eternal separation from him. And you haven't yet got it that you being good enough isn't good enough. And maybe in your heads you've got this idea that if I keep on trying and keep on trying, that'll be okay. But no, it won't be. Because Jesus has died so you can be forgiven. You're not good enough. It's not about his teaching. It's not about being good. It's about what he has done. And you can trust him and he can take you. And from that cemetery, from the crowd of desperation and death, to life, new life. So where are you with that? But then maybe some of you, I don't know, obviously don't know, don't know you today, but as Christians, maybe you're struggling. Maybe you feel broken hearted that something happened. You can't really share it with people here because you're afraid that they might blab about it. Maybe some of you have got problems at home or in work or in your own spiritual life. Maybe you're cast down and you just have to appear to be smiling, but deep inside things are not right. Hear this. The Lord Jesus has compassion on you. He understands, but he's more than understanding. Do you get this? It's compassion. It's love off the scale. It's gut-wrenching love for you. Listen, let's read together one verse, uh, two verses in uh, Hebrews. Come with me to Hebrews and to chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. They're well-known verses, but in the context of his compassion for you, read it, listen. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. If you're struggling today and you've almost lost contact with him because you don't think he understands you, he doesn't really care about you, listen, 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 listen. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. You got it? We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And verse 16, here it is for you. Message for today, maybe. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Come to him with confidence. He has compassion on you. Do you get it? But then there's another lesson, a series of lessons we need to learn. What is it that kills compassion? What is it that kills compassion? And we can kill compassion. We fellas are probably far better at it than the ladies, but we can kill any form of compassion. Sometimes our exposure to suffering on the telly or in the news or in wherever it might be, we see it so often we just kill it. We don't have compassion on those desperately needy children we might see in pictures. Exposure sometimes has that effect. Now, we need to get ourselves sorted on that. We have to have compassion and never kill it. But here's another way. Don't compare suffering. Sometimes we might say, well, look what they're moaning about. Look at them whinging. If only they had something like I've had. Or if they had had the suffering like those people over there. Or if they were in Africa or India or whatever it might be. If they had suffering like... And we compare suffering. Never, never 
Never compare suffering. What is suffering for you is suffering for you. It's painful. It's heartbreaking. It's tough. It's difficult. It's challenging. We should never, ever compare suffering. Compassion goes out to those who are suffering. No one looked at the widow of Nain and said, and the Lord Jesus didn't say, well, she's only lost her son. She's only lost her... There's people here lost four sons and another one's lost five. It's none of that. It's compassion to the Lord Jesus. Don't kill compassion by comparing suffering. Don't kill compassion by judging people. It's possible to judge people by what they're wearing. By what they say. Even by their accent. I know. I'm a Welshman from North Wales. And people in South Wales think I'm from England. How bad is that? (laughs) And we think we know people's circumstances because we judge them from something on the outside. There's a kid's song which I, uh, I don't think is too well known, but I'd love to revive it, but my wife won't. But the words go like this. It's not the pimples or the dimples or the clothes that you wear, the shape of you, the size of you, the colour of your hair. It's not the toys you've got or whether or not you're cleverer than me. It's not the outside, but the inside that God can see. Stop judging people by Things you know nothing about. And then there's legalism. That can block uh, compassion. I know where you're coming from. I know what you've done wrong. I can tell you this. I can tell you that. And we go on about it. And we judge people by the external, by what we, we don't know. How, who are we to judge anyone else? Or well, self-righteousness can block compassion. We can look down on other people. Look down. How on earth can we look down? Someone said, if you're ever going to look down on anyone, the only reason you should ever look down is when you're putting your hand out to lift them up. You can block compassion. Busyness can block compassion. I'm too busy. How can I be bothered with this? We need to be those who have an incarnation, who get inside someone else's skin, who stop and think. And look and see. And pray for God to give us compassion that we cannot do ourselves. I can only tell you this, that when you're struggling in a mess, and those of you will know who've been through it, and someone shows you compassion, it might only be that they take the risk of of putting their arm around you, or they take the risk of giving you a quick squeeze. Do you know, it means the world when someone shows compassion to you. You may say, well, I can't do much. Let your compassion take you to where you never thought you'd go. And it means the world. Well, my time's starting to run out. The last thing, the last but one thing, is to say this. Paul challenges us. Turn with me to uh, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. Now I'm going to read from the ESV and it goes like this. Put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness 
and patience. If you look in the uh, NIV, it reads, put on compassion. Paul is saying this is not something for the Lord Jesus alone. It's not something for the super spiritual. It's not something for the leaders. Paul is saying, you and I, we are to put it on. Every morning when we get up, put on compassion. Get that coat out of the cupboard and put it on. I am a compassionate person. That's who I am. Because the Lord Jesus has saved me. He's given me what I never deserved. He died for me on that cross. He's had compassion on me. I will have compassion on others. Put it on. We spend yonks trying to decide which trousers, which coat, which shirt. With me, I don't have problems with hairdo, but you may. And, and yet here is this wonderful piece of clothing that we can put on every single day. Put it on. Wear it. And when we look at the crowds, what are we to do? Well, we're to have compassion on the crowds. This hymn we're going to sing in a minute. Let me look at the crowds, my Saviour did. Till my eyes with tears grow dim, let me look till I pity the wandering sheep and love them for love of him. Put it on. When I was talking, I've got a few minutes. Have I got a few minutes left? I've got a few minutes. Am I all right for a few minutes? Yeah, okay. I've got a few minutes left. When I was talking to Pat about this, I I'd suddenly realized, I said to her, how far does compassion go? I mean, how far are we to take compassion? And you know there are times when your friend, and my, my, in my case my wife, looks at me as if I'm completely dumb. She doesn't say anything. She's so polite and wonderfully uh, loving. But she just said, well, how far? How far? What a dumb question. She didn't say this. What a dumb question. I, how far does compassion go? To the cross. To the cross. That's where compassion takes him. That's where the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ is. That's where this teacher, this glorious master class, takes us to the foot of the cross. Where does compassion take you? It takes you back to the cross. So that we nevertheless, we don't live, but he lives in us and through us. We can't do it ourselves. We have to ask him to graciously, by his Holy Spirit, empower us to be what he needs to be. Very last thing. Uh, there was a mission last week in Neath in South Wales. It, it's at the Neath Fair. It's the fourth largest fair in the whole of the UK. And um, uh, we were... The team that were doing four churches were working together. It was wonderful to be part of it. And uh, one of the things they did is they decided to hold a meeting on Friday night uh, and they would get a gap called, gap, chap called Gareth Davis who was uh, uh, rescued from Abervan when he was just five years old. I don't, the story of Abervan is a tragic one. It's a school, well, the village, and in the middle of the school, and the whole side of a mountain just came down and destroyed that school, wiped it out, crushed cars killed people 116 children were killed on that very day as that filth came down the mountain and engulfed the whole school well Gareth Davis it was his first term in school and he and his brother were rescued 
And uh, the team in uh, Neath decided, the church, he said, we're going to put something on the town hall. We'll get Gareth Davis to come because it's a mining town. It happened just over 50 years ago. Gareth will share his testimony. So that's what uh, Gareth was planning to do. And I, I was given that invitation. I was amazed. There's a number of people who knew about Abervan. And not just that, some of them had driven there to try and help because loads of, uh, of um, miners had had compassion on on that uh, little village and they tried to get there but the queues were huge and loads of miners walked in there took their their shovels and just tried to dig out and tried to desperately rescue the lost kids inside that school and others in homes in other in around the area well i met some of those people and they said oh we might go and you, you know you tend to think oh you won't but you're saying it well friday night that's last friday Gareth turned up at the town hall. <laughs> he gave his talk, his testimony, how he, he was an atheist. He was rescued from Abervan, became an atheist, and God, in a wonderful way, brought him from death to life. After, there was a most remarkable scene. A big, retired miner walked straight up to Gareth and gave him this huge hug. And he's just huge. I don't know what Gareth said, and I don't know what tears he shed. I doubt, I probably shed a lot of tears. And you know what the miner said? He said this. He said, I went to rescue people in Abervan, but I never met anyone who came out alive. You're the first person I've met after 50 years who came out alive. Folk, you've been on beach mission this, uh, this summer, haven't you? And you may say, I didn't see anybody become Christians. We gave out literature. We tried to dig people out of the depths of their sin. But didn't see anybody saved. Listen, heaven's going to be full of lots of surprises. <laughs> lots of surprises. And you know, there'll be people who come to you and say, hey, oh, you, were that, you were that person. You talked to me on the beach. Or I was in that window and I listened to that sermon in Clandidno and I heard someone say something. Oh, you're that person who gave me that letter. Oh. And you'll say, I digged hard in that muck and now you've been rescued. How wonderful it is. And you'll give them a big hug. <laughs> and no doubt they'll give you a big hug. Compassion on the crowd. Compassion on individuals. Don't give up. Ask God to give you compassion. Wear it. Put it on. Don't kill it, whatever you do. And follow the Master in all that he says and does. And pray God that we shall be an organization who are full, off the scale, compassion for the lost and the needy. Let's sing our closing hymn. It's a lovely old hymn. Uh, sometimes I think it's a bit quaint, but the words are far from that. They're just remarkable. With a soul blood-bought and a heart aglow, redeemed of the Lord and free, I ask.